This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about licorice. Yep. Which is a thing that Annie has possibly never tasted. Possibly. But we're gonna we're gonna rectify that. Yeah, we've got some here in the studio with us today. We do. Yeah. And we'll try it at the end in case it's gross and ruins <laughs> everything. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows how it'll go? Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is the first in a few that we're recording in this session today, so that's we right. might we might want to wait. <laughs> All right, um, but but at any rate, uh, thank you so much to our amazing coworker Joe McCormick for suggesting this one. He, along with Robert Lamb, the hosts of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, have covered the weird side of licorice. Check them out in general, but perhaps especially their Dangerous Foods series, as food is the kind of connect. So it's three it's thread here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do they do a lot of great stuff, and I, oh, I love their. Um, they bring in a lot of bad horror movies, which I appreciate. Oh yeah, yeah. They've got a great uh, Facebook Live thing that they've got going on, or have had. I'm not sure if it's still continuing. This is a great side story. Anyway, licorice. Yes. What is it? What is it? Well, okay. First off, disambiguation. Licorice is the name of a plant. And of a candy that may or may not be made from the plant, black licorice candy often is, and other colors of licorice are generally not. Get that out of the way right up front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Licorice, or as um, Lauren added in the notes, licorice with a Q and a U, uh, as preferred in the UK and Ireland. You totally added that note. Well, see, I'm already, like, <laughs> thinking ahead to the trying of this thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> distracted. Yeah, in, um, in, in America, it's spelled L-I-C-O-R-I-C-E. And in many other places, it's L-I-Q-U-O-R-I-C-E. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. The scientific name is Glyceriza glabra, which is wonderful. Um, it's an herb in the pea family, and it can grow up to a meter or about three feet. And the root is around the same size, and it's a centimeter in diameter. It's harvested in the fall. Uh, Glyceriza glabra is the European variety. The species that grows in Asia is Eurolensis, and the species from North America is Lepidota. But in general, the European species is more common. Mm-hmm. It's sweet and slightly bitter. I love that I'm saying this, even though I have no idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I read that it's kind of like um, anise. Is that how you pronounce that? I think so, yeah. yeah. Anise, anise or star anise. Yeah. One. yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had that, it's been used as a flavoring, medicinally, and as a candy. And a very divisive candy at that. I have one friend who, when I told her I was doing this, she said, why? (laughs) (laughs) Quite angrily. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. uh, Tarragon tastes similar, too. And these plants, along with stuff like camphor, contain a compound called antithole, which is what gives them this herbal, piquant, bitter sort of flavor. Other plants like fennel and basil, uh, which have similar notes, contain the related compound estragol or estragol. Either one. Uh, Licorice has the addition, though, of a sort of tingle, almost like mint or menthol or eucalyptus. And a fun side note, um, anethole is what makes liquors like pastis and absinthe go cloudy when you add water. It's, It's highly soluble in alcohol and less so in water, so it sort of beads up and makes the drink look uh, kind of foggy when you up the water content. Oh, cool. Yeah. To get the candy or that, like, pliable stick form of it anyway, you grind down and dry out the roots, you boil them, and then you process the resulting juice. This paste or liquor or extract is then sold to a number of industries that do stuff with licorice. Traditionally, in the Dutch version of candy making, you dry the juice in molds to make block licorice, which is sold to candy companies, usually wrapped to this day in bay leaves, where it's processed even more. The compound that makes licorice sweet is glycerizin. Um, This only occurs naturally, in naturally high levels anyway, in licorice. And it's 50 times sweeter than sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Powdered licorice can have anywhere from 4 to 25% glycerizin. I'm probably switching back and forth in the pronunciation, but whatever it is, I like it. Um, <laughs> for the two centuries between 1700 and 1900, the spelling of the Q was preferred, but American writers ditched it. Um, the Greek word that the scientific name comes from means sweet root. And entomologically speaking, the word licorice comes straight from the Greek glyceriza or glycoriza. At some point, the Latin word shifted from glycoriza to licoricea, probably influenced by the process of extracting that sweet-slash-bitter juice or liquor from the root. And people in the Netherlands love licorice. Oh, yeah. We're talking an average of four pounds a year per person. (laughs) It accounts for 20% of all candy sold there, the licorice candy industry in the country made over $1.4 billion U.S. dollars in 2008, oh. which is about one-third of all licorice candy production in the European Union. Sales that year were about $185 million. And there are dozens upon dozens of varieties of drop, drop, as it's called, including the notorious slash popular double salted, which huh. Lauren brought up to me right before we um, started recording. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like salted caramel. It's mm. not... 
it's not for everyone. Not for everyone. Is it for you? Not really. Not really. Okay. <laughs> um, flavors isn't the only source of variety either. Either you can get all kinds of shapes from shoelace to herring. It's also still used there as a throat lozenge. Popular brands of licorice include Good and Plenty and Twizzlers in the U.S. We'll talk about that more later. Lauren tells me there's a big difference between black licorice and red licorice. Panda in Europe and Kookaburra in Australia. There, there's such a difference between black licorice <laughs> and red licorice. There's no actual actual licorice plant or flavor involved in red licorice. It's usually some kind of ambiguous and artificial strawberry or raspberry or cherry type flavoring, uh, like sweet with a tiny bit of acid zing to it. It's in the same chewy form factor as black licorice candy, but that is where the similarities end. Oh, okay. Well, um, the flavor of licorice (laughs) is often used to, quote, make the medicine go down by covering up the taste of medicines like cough syrups. Sometimes the plant itself is used to treat peptic ulcers as a home remedy. Around the world, it's used medicinally for all sorts of things. So many things. You wouldn't, I mean, we couldn't even list how many things. Yeah. It would take up the whole podcast. But. But here's a few. Um, There's stomach issues, inflammation, Addison's disease, menopause, osteoarthritis, systemic lupus, malaria, tuberculosis, food poisoning, chronic fatigue syndrome, bronchitis, and infections. The combination of licorice and peony is sometimes taken to increase fertility for women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome or picos. It's mixed with other herbs. Some people use it to treat the symptoms of prostate cancer and eczema. Licorice is even sometimes used as shampoo to make oily hair less oily. Or some people use it as a gel to stop bleeding or via IV to treat hepatitis B or C. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and and there's we're gonna have a little bit more about that at the towards the towards the end of the episode, but uh, that's certainly what it's used for. Yeah, <laughs> yes. How how effective it actually is is sort of up for debate. Right. The flavor is also often used in tobacco products. In fact, the majority of licorice consumer products are tobacco-related. Which I had like a light bulb moment earlier during research. Maybe this is why some of the traditional shapes of black licorice candy have been tobacco-related, like cigarettes and cigars and pipes. You're right. I didn't think about that. I hmm. definitely was really fond of black uh, black licorice pipes when I was <laughs> when I was a little girl. Oh, this is just like a shaped pipe? Yeah, just shaped like a, like a little smoking pipe. I mean, like would a, you pretend that you were like... I don't think so. I think I just ate it. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it's also fairly common in alcohol, soft drinks, chewing gum, and apparently during the fasting month of Ramadan in the form of a licorice drink called Erxus. In the U.S., the Food and Drug Administration has bestowed licorice with the generally recognized as safe. G-R-A-S designation, so that it can be used as a food additive. In Germany, licorice has been approved with some conditions as a treatment for peptic ulcers. But? But indeed, some medical guidelines suggest you don't exceed more than 5 grams a day. Pregnant women are advised not to ingest licorice as it might, might, induce early delivery or miscarriage. Research suggests to take about 250 grams a week, so, I mean... You'd have to be having a lot of licorice. If you're breastfeeding, licorice isn't recommended either. People with heart disease, hormone-sensitive conditions, high blood pressure, hypertonia, low levels of potassium, kidney disease, anorexia, or erectile dysfunction are also not advised to have any licorice. Um, Or not a lot of licorice, anyway. Also, if you have a surgery coming up, 
you're advised not to eat licorice in large amounts two weeks prior. The European Union put forth a provisional daily limit of 100 milligrams of licorice a day in 1991. One medical paper we used for research ended with this quote, We aim to send a warning message that licorice is not just a candy and that serious life-threatening complications can occur with excess use. More intensity than perhaps we thought we would get out of the licorice episode, even as intense as it already is. Very much so. Uh, so yeah, uh, licorice is one of the few things that we have covered on this show that has been used medicinally and has absolutely statistically significant medical effects. More on that later. Yeah. But for now, let's get into some history. Yeah. But before we get into that, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. Licorice has a very long storied history, especially medicinally. Hmm. Ancient China, Greece, and Egypt used it as a remedy for all sorts of things as well, but primarily for respiratory and stomach ailments. It's native to what's now the Mediterranean, southern and central Russia, Asia Minor, through Iran, and North America. And everywhere that it grows, it has been used as a medicine. Mm-hmm. Licorice root and a whole, whole bunch of it was found in the tomb of King Tutankhamun, perhaps better known as King Tut, easier mm-hmm. to say, who mm-hmm. ruled in Egypt from 1332 to 1323 BCE. According to some sources, the Egyptians believed it to be... An aphrodisiac! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yep, and King Tut ate some before asking his future <laughs> queen's hand in marriage. The ancient Egyptians would consume licorice as a sweet drink, sometimes called mysus, for ceremonies honoring the spirits of pharaohs. It was a non-alcoholic drink, probably tasting something like watered-down molasses. Like an herbal, bitter, watered-down molasses. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still enjoyed in Egypt. Mm -hmm. A scientist in Iceland discovered a sample of licorice from 750 CE that retained its medical properties. Huh. Yeah. The army of Alexander the Great used licorice as a thirst quencher. This is one of the most interesting things I find about licorice. Hippocrates suggested it for sore throats and injuries. Celsus suggested it to treat kidney stones in the 2nd century CE. In the 3rd and 4th century CE, Theophrastus followed suit, advising the use of licorice for asthma and other non-productive coughing, as well as for thirst. Um, in some of his writings, he claimed that the Scythians survived without water for 12 days. 12 days by chewing on licorice root. I'm dubious. Yeah. It's okay. Fifth century CE, medical author Marcellus Empiricus prescribed licorice for ailments ranging from stomach to renal to pulmonary to back pain. 
our old friend Pliny the Elder seconded, or by now it's like ninth. Um, <laughs> licorice's worth for asthma and thirst, but added that it could be useful also for hunger or for sterility in women. Outside of Europe, China used licorice for medical reasons, too. As far back as the first Chinese medical dispensaries reference to the root's healing abilities. Mm-hmm. Chinese pharmacists considered it to be the highest class of drug and used it for skin conditions, coughing, and as an anti-inflammatory. Licorice also popped up in Ayurvedic medicine as a treatment for ocular diseases, ulcers, arthritis, and constipation. It could do everything. (laughs) Flemish author Jacob van Marlentz, 13th century CE Encyclopedia of Natural History, included a recommendation to use licorice as a respiratory and cough curative. One medical manual out of Europe in the Middle Ages called for a mixture of licorice and snails. Yep, snails. As an aid for scrofulous glands. Uh, These are the lymph nodes that were associated with tuberculosis generally. Oh, snails. Yeah, snails with your licorice. Oh. Mm -hmm. When Europeans returned from the Crusades in the 1500s, they brought with them licorice and the practices of using it medicinally. And monks really took to licorice's restorative powers and helped spread its use during the Renaissance. In South Europe, a licorice tea was believed to act as a blood purifier. In England, manufacturers got the idea to add another believed to be natural super healer that we've talked about before, honey, to licorice. Ah. Yeah. An English monastery became somewhat famous for these stamped discs of licorice called Pontefract cakes in 1614, or pointer cakes, I read in some places. Local chemist George Dunhill got the idea to add sugar to licorice and make these things in 1562. Once sugar became more available and thus cheaper, it was added to the pointer cakes, and then it increased demand by far. Because sugar is great. Yeah. Or terrible. uh, Or terrible. Both. Yes. To this day, Pontefract England still churns these out, sold internationally by Haribo. Is that how you would pronounce that? I've always said Haribo, and then I realized that I've just... I've always said Haribo, but, well, you I, know. but I don't think that either of those... Oh, let us know, folks. <laughs> um, however you say it, uh, Haribo sells them internationally, and they have an annual licorice festival in Pontefract, England, with a licorice queen who may or not, may not dress in licorice clothes. <laughs> Boy, I hope someone has pictures of that. <laughs> According to a medical paper I read, the ingestion of pointer cakes has resulted in several reported cases of hypokalemia, low blood potassium levels, rhabdomyolysis, rapid destruction of skeletal muscle, and tetraparesis, weakness or paralysis in all four limbs. So, hmm. Pointer cakes may have been one of licorice's first forays into confection, but the increased access and lower price point of sugar helped licorice transition into the candy industry. By the late Middle Ages in Europe, molded licorice pastilles were relatively easy to find. The licorice tubes and ropes are thought to have come out of Holland in the early 1600s with the technological improvements of candy making brought about by the Industrial Revolution. Licorice was one of the first mass-produced candies. It is one of the many food products that's produced by extrusion. That is, a, a dough is pushed through a mold and then cut into individual pieces on the other side. In the case of licorice, that dough is made of sugar, gelatinized glutinous wheat flour, a flavoring, coloring, and modernly stabilizers to help with the preservation and texture and ease of manufacture. The 
popularity and ubiquity of licorice-flavored candy made by this process is how the term licorice eventually came to be known as like a generic, chewy, extruded candy term, with or without actual licorice root being involved. Yep. A medical treatise from 1657 mentions children drinking water sweetened with licorice juice in perhaps one of the earliest forms of soft drinks. Ah. Mm-hmm. Charles Dickens later called this drink intoxicating fluid. And a little bit later in the mid-19th century, it was known as sugar ally. Hmm. Uh-huh. As English settlers made their way to America, so too did licorice candies, recipes, and medicinal uses. In the 1800s, Napoleon reportedly chewed on so much licorice for his digestive issues that it turned his teeth black. In the 1870s, the first major licorice factory opened in the United States and began producing extracts for the tobacco, food, and pharmaceutical industries. The Quaker City Confectionery Company out of Philadelphia pushed out Good and Plenty in 1893, which makes it America's oldest branded candy. Oh, wow. Mm Young and Smiley was established in 1845 in Brooklyn. In 1870, they changed their trademark to YNS. Yep, that YNS. That YNS. I've never heard of them. Oh. But I'm guessing a lot of you have. (laughs) They merged together with two other companies in 1902 to form the National Licorice Company. They opened a small Montreal factory in 1908, but it wasn't until 1929 they gave us a brand that I do recognize. Twizzler. The only flavor of Twizzlers at the time, though, was the traditional black licorice. Around that time, American licorice came in just a ton of really delightful shapes. Uh, I'm going to read you a long list. Here we go. Big piece, giant bar, fluted bar, brick, electric light wires, flexible sticks, whips, cigarettes, navy plugs, triple tunnel tubes, golf sticks, blowpipes, panpipes, curved stem pipes, large cigars, fluted tubes, subway tunnels, eagle twists, monster tubes, licorice gems, crown pretzels, teddy bear cigars, skidoo bars, and jersey tunnels. Jersey tunnels? <laughs> Questions, but we must move on. During World War I, both French and Turkish soldiers were issued licorice as part of their rations. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, in the States, the American Licorice Company opened in Chicago in 1914, at first making black licorice twists and then slowly expanding into other shapes for their candy. They bought a defunct licorice company in San Francisco in the 1920s and thus expanded to the West Coast. As of the 1930s, the U.S. was importing 35,000 tons of licorice root per year from Spain and Italy. They used the liquid extract in candy, medicine, and tobacco products. Whatever was left was snatched up by beer brewers, and that's because licorice has foaming properties. Um, Adding the extract to the brewing process gave the beer a more foamy head. Beer was not the only industry interested in licorice extract's foaming properties. So were the manufacturers of fire extinguishers. Before the invention of chemical extinguishers, we used oxygen-free foaming licorice extinguishers. Hmm. The leftover fibers from the root were used to make boxes and uh, wall insulation. So you might be getting your licorice in a box made from licorice Licorice? fiber. Yeah. Hmm. In the 1950s, the aforementioned American Licorice Company released what would turn out to be the sleeper hit of the candy industry, twisted vines of candy with the same chew as their black licorice, but flavored instead with raspberry. (gasps) And yes, this is the origin 
of red vines. What? Yes, those red vines. <laughs> According to the Hershey website, after Neil Armstrong made his famous proclamation, you know, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, he said, I could go for some Twizzlers right now. <laughs> Seems like there is some dispute about the validity of this, but uh, fun nonetheless. Yeah. What and- a bold claim to make. Not if it's true. not true, right? Yeah. yeah. E- either way, he still wasn't talking about the Twizzlers that most of us in the States know today. They still only came in that original black licorice flavor and would until... In 1977, Hershey snapped the brand Twizzlers up. And they began expanding into other flavors of similarly shaped and textured candy, including the current most popular, strawberry. Mm-hmm. During that decade, American Licorice Company was also expanding their flavors to include grape purple vines, peppermint green vines, and chocolate vines, not called brown vines. Okay. <laughs> to be specific. To be specific, vines, yeah. chocolate vines. In 1998, the Twizzler plant in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, broke the Guinness World Record for longest licorice twist with a 1,200-foot or 370 meters and 100-pound monstrosity. Oh. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, the company apparently today produces a million miles worth of Twizzlers every year, which, in case you're counting, is enough to circle the Earth uh, more than four times. Wow. <laughs> Man, when I was a kid, I loved those twists and fills. Did you ever have those? I did. I, I was mad that they weren't just regular strawberry Twizzler flavored, though. Oh, I loved the filling, and I'm pretty sure it was horrendous for you, and that's why you can't get them anywhere anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved them. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of like weird goo candy in the nineties and two thousands that it's... I don't think I don't think it was okay. No. No. Hmm. Uh due in part to the East Coast versus West Coast rivalry of uh Hershey's and the American Licorice Company, there is this huge and hilarious divide among folks who prefer Twizzlers to red vines and vice versa. Both sides basically just say that the other tastes like eating stale plastic. <laughs> I, I would argue that probably they both do, but just in slightly separate ways. Yeah, you know, a little, <laughs> oh man, like a sommelier for plastic. <laughs> um, I guess Twizzlers is East Coast, right? Because I've never yeah. even heard of Red Vines. Oh, yeah, yeah. So They also tend to, when they come in their bulk form, Red Vines uh, are not individually wrapped, so they go a little bit staler, oh. a little bit quicker, which some people like, but some people, I don't know. It's very, if you if you want to read up on the debate about this, like just Google it and you will be treated to many, many, many think pieces. I love how people have such strong and like <laughs> solid backed up arguments for such small Oh, yeah. Kind of opinion, really, based things. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. It's pretty huge. All right. Well, that is the history bit. Now we need to talk about some of that, that health stuff. Yeah. But first, one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, 
start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, Annie, can I overdose on licorice? Kinda. Oh! Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> ah. It would take a lot. Uh, in 2017, <laughs> licorice made some headlines when the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration here in the U.S., released a warning about eating too much of it and that doing so could make you ill or even kill you. Ah. Yeah. The potential issue here stems from that glycerizin, the compound that gives licorice the sweet flavor. It also can alter levels of potassium. Low levels of potassium can give you high blood pressure, lethargy and swelling, or heart rhythm abnormalities and congestive heart failure. Um, It can also cause you to uh, reuptake sodium into your system, which can not help with the swelling issue. Right. Yeah. All of it, not good. Totally. However. Yeah. You'd have to eat quite a bit of licorice to land you in this position. For an adult over 40 in good health, it'd take a daily dose of, <laughs> daily dose of two ounces over a period of two weeks to land you in the hospital. Um, the FDA generally recommends not eating large amounts of licorice um, for you two people out there that are like... <laughs> just, like all the licorice. Yeah. Oh, I know, I know those two people. Oh, do you? Oh, definitely. And I have some very big licorice fans. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, you should tell them to listen to this <laughs> and make sure they're not going to end up in the hospital. If you proceed to stuff your face with licorice, despite these warnings, um, and you start to notice your muscles aren't cooperating or your heart is doing weird things, call a doctor immediately and stop eating the licorice <laughs> until you get things sorted. Mm-hmm. If you're taking any medications or supplements, do some research and make sure the glycorrhizin won't make them go all screwy. And I'd like to point out that this declaration by the FDA was issued the night before Halloween. Oh. They know they know what's going on. Oh, yeah. They know what's up. If this is terrible news to you and your love affair with licorice, one thing to keep in mind is that plenty, plenty of the commercially available black licorice candies don't actually have licorice in them. Or, like, not much anyway. Like, they're, like, 1.5 to maybe 4% licorice. Yeah, they're flavored with anise instead. So don't despair. You've got options. Also, researchers are experimenting with removing the glycorrhizin from licorice extract, which has been shown to have fewer negative effects. Man. But, hey, that's not all. Nope. Nope. Glycorrhizin has even been found to interfere with organ transplants. What? A study with rats in Taiwan found this active ingredient in licorice can inhibit the body's uptake of cyclosporine, which is an immunosuppressant that's prescribed to people who have recently received organ transplants to, you know, prevent their bodies from rejecting the new organ. Yeah. It's also prescribed in cases of arthritis and some skin conditions and other diseases in which the immune system is attacking parts of your body for some dumb reason and just needs to calm down. Mm -hmm. So inhibiting its uptake means that the condition you're taking it for could get worse, like up to and including your body could potentially reject a new organ. Wow. So, like, don't eat licorice products on top of that type of medication. Or as Annie said, like, maybe any medication, like, consult your doctor or ask the Internet about drug interactions because there are a bunch of them. 
There are also some maybe benefits. Yeah, yeah. As in many cases on this show, uh, the the answer to whether or not this food item has medical benef- benefits is that it's complicated yeah. and more research needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, glycerizin has been tested as a treatment for controlling the virus and the complications of hepatitis. In some trials, it seems that it can help in patients who don't respond well to conventional treatments. But in others, it doesn't seem to have any effect. Similarly, topical licorice extract may help uh, to alleviate symptoms of skin rashes like swelling, itching, and redness from conditions like eczema. Mm -hmm. Or not. Or not. Uh, One study in mice found that it can help prevent infection of topical burns by helping to boost production of antimicrobial proteins. Hmm. But that's just one study right? in mice. Yeah. Glycorrhizin can selectively kill cancerous cells, so Ooh. it might help with cancer treatments. Oh. Or not. Or not, yeah. Who knows? Taken orally, it may help prevent cavities, mouth and stomach ulcers, and oral yeast infections. Or not. A, what? A candy could prevent cavities? Well, mostly the extra. Okay, not... See, that makes much more sense. Once you introduce the candy. Like, Mom, I've got to eat this candy. It's very important. It's going to keep my teeth From all clean. Tea. Yeah. It's not going to turn them black like Napoleon. <laughs> nope. It's going to be chill. <laughs> Glycerizin can also serve as an anti-irritant and anti-inflammatory in the throat when gargled, which can help soothe coughs. Huh? Or not. Or not. Okay. And it can even interact with some hormonal functions due to its influence on uh, on the levels of cortisol that wind up in your bloodstream, and thus has been shown to help some people who have Addison's disease and to help patients lose weight. Or not. Okay. Well, so, that's a lot of, like, maybe. Yeah, basically what I'm saying here is that, you know, if you like eating licorice, then do that. If you have strong feelings about licorice as as a like home remedy, then use it in small amounts, and it's probably not going to hurt. Yeah. If you're going to use it in large amounts, probably don't do that. A, but but B, like first of all, check with your doctor about any medications that you're taking because I've seen all kinds of potential complications, like oral contraceptives. Like really? what? <laughs> because of the hormone level licorice. things. So yeah, it's I it's very complicated. No one knows really what's going on there. We don't have enough information. Licorice. If it wasn't illegal and very shady, I would love <laughs> to sit in on a conversation with somebody who needs to talk to their doctor about how much licorice they're eating. Like, look, oh. I, I, have, I have all this licorice I want to eat per day. Is there going to be a problem here? <laughs> <laughs> I need my daily five yes. ounces. <laughs> I just, I don't want to give it up. <laughs> but I needed to check with you. What's what's going to happen, Doc? How many doctors have had to deal with licorice <laughs> questions? I want to know. Probably more in the Netherlands than over here. Probably. But speaking of, let's let's try one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? I mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think it's time. Excellent. I got this from the candy shop downstairs. It says, "Old fashioned licorice drops." And yeah, these are a hard candy, not a not a chewy candy. Real. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's licorice flavored. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. 
I yeah, I don't I don't I wouldn't like seek it out, but I don't mind it. I hope that this was uh worth the build up, everyone. <laughs> uh which brings us to Listener, Listener mail. mail. Okay, so this first one is from someone I really hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Marika. But there's a J in there, so I think this is right. She wrote in response to our chocolate episode, I come from Calusa County in Northern California, which is a very rural agricultural area. When you mentioned that chocolate may make your furry friends sick, I was reminded that some people put dark chocolate Hershey bars out as coyote bait. The unsuspecting coyotes think they found a delicious snack, but instead get poisoned. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. People usually do this when their livestock or pets are being harassed or eaten by said coyotes. On an unrelated and brighter note, Calusa County is the heart of California rice country. Rice is not only an important food staple, but is an essential habitat for migrating waterfowl like ducks, geese, and swans. Before European settlement, the Central Valley in California contained at least 4 million acres of wetlands and was a crucial part of waterfowl migration, as it provided food and a place to rest their wings. Because farmers grow rice and water for weed suppression, rice fields mimic the wetlands that were lost to human development. These fields are critical for many other animals as well, including frogs and crawdads slash crayfish, to name a couple. Just a couple tidbits from a farm gal to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Poisoning coyotes with uh, chocolate. (laughs) I would not have thought of it. Me neither. But excellent. Noelle wrote in about our fork episode. I wanted to share some stuff my dad learned in his hometown in the Philippines when he was in grade school. During American imperialism, children were being taught how to eat with a fork and knife instead of using fingers with the following rhyme. Come, little caterbao, come. My caterbao walks. My caterbao talks. My caterbao eats with a knife and fork. Hmm. The political cartoon depictions of barbaric Filipinos during American imperialism makes me laugh. Because of the influence of Spanish culture, some Filipinos viewed brash Americans as barbaric because of their lack of European etiquette. Fingers are most commonly used when food is spread out over a banana leaf. For plated dishes, we tend to use a fork to shovel the food into the spoon that we then eat from. The technique helps get the rice, condiment, and piece of the main dish into one bite. Many Filipino foods are boiled in soupy things with rice, which would be difficult to get everything with a fork in one bite. In my family, we rarely cut meat with a knife because it's been boiled tender. Instead, we sometimes cut with the spoon flipped sideways with the inner part of the spoon facing you. Wow. So much more to how we eat and what we used to eat than yeah. you would think at first at first glance, at, at first thought. At first, at first think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have an update on the licorice. Yeah? Because it's a hard candy, so still there. I spit mine out like a long time ago. Yeah, she did, but I've, I've soldiered on. And it's got kind of a soapy, bittery thing going on. Yeah? Yeah. I still don't mind it, but <laughs> I can see why I can see why some people would very it, much not like it. Is it the soapy factor that you're not a fan of? It like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the soapy bit. And it, it's, it's like sticking in the back of my throat in a strange way. Mm-hmm. It definitely kind of feels medicinal, and I don't know if that's because it's used in so many medicines. Or if it, I think it's used in so many medicines because it tastes that medicinal, like all on its own. Yeah, like this is so gross that it must <laughs> it must be working. <laughs> when we first started researching this, I felt like we were a medical podcast all of a sudden. Yeah. 
Anyway, those are my thoughts on licorice. Yay! This was our licorice episode. Thank you to both of them for writing in. Uh-huh. You can write us as well. Yeah. Our email address is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw. You can also find us on Instagram at foodstuff. Thank you so much to our amazing producer, Dylan Fagan. Uh, thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.